0: Hello and welcome back to Tapping Into Crypto, the podcast for all things cryptocurrency. This week we are going to be answering a question that a lot of you have had. Why are gas fees so high and can I do anything about them? You'll know if you've ever tried to purchase anything with ETH that there is a fee that comes along with this called gas fees and over the last few years they have been getting higher and higher. So we're going to be unpacking layer one and layer two, exactly what these are, the challenges of them both, and what's been done to combat this. This week we primarily focus on Ethereum, but we are also going to be having a follow-up episode next week with a very special guest unpacking Bitcoin and all of the challenges they have faced and what's being done in that space as well. So whether you're a beginner, a Bitcoin veteran, or just crypto curious. I am your host, Alicia Chapman, and this is Tapping into Crypto. Welcome to the podcast, Matt Baker. It is so good to have you on with us today.
1: Yeah, no worries. Keen to be here.
0: Now, Matt, you work for SwiftX. Can you let us know a little bit about what you do over there?
1: Yeah. So I'm the customer support second in charge. I help manage the customer support team, uh, make sure they have everything they need to help assist customers, complete their work to a high standard and really create a genuine and authentic customer experience for our users.
0: You definitely do that. I know we've had so much beautiful feedback, even from the pod of people like, Oh yeah, I had this question and they were so kind on chat and helped me out. So... Definitely fan faves over there at SwiftX and always looking out for front. So love what you do. Now, the question that we ask everyone who comes onto the podcast is what was your very first crypto purchase and do you still have it now?
1: Yes, actually. The first crypto purchase I ever made was about three years ago and I bought a little bit of Ethereum and I still have it.
0: Oh, how good. And so hanging on through all the ups and downs, especially the last few months, but I can imagine 3 years ago, you would be in a pretty good position from when you bought it.
1: Yes. The Ethereum that I bought looking a bit pricier than the first time I bought it. So a lot of ups and downs, but mostly up, which is great.
0: Love that. Today, we are going to be chatting about layer 1, layer 2. So it's something we've briefly touched on a couple of times in FAQ episodes and through crypto catch-ups, but it's never something that we've actually broken down. So Matt, Taking a step back and zooming out to a super high level for those that haven't heard about it before. Yeah,
1: no worries at all. So when you're looking at a blockchain network, it has to be scalable, it has to be decentralized and it has to be secure. And when you're looking at its ability to scale, the blockchain network has to be able to process quick transactions for a low fee so that it can compete with a lot of the centralized authorities that we have like Visa and MasterCard. So... When you're looking at scalability, you can either build out the capacity of the network for itself. So that's layer one solutions, looking at like Ethereum moving from Ethereum to Ethereum 2.0. Or you can scale the network by offloading some of the work to side chains and similar solutions. And those are layer two.
0: And I guess I think I've heard this referred to as the blockchain trilemma. So if you think about it, as you touched on just then, is the trilemma, which is that they need to be decentralized, they need to be secure, and they also hopefully, need to be able to scale because more and more people use them. But having all three of those is something that's really, really challenging to hang on to.
1: Yeah. So most projects will try and tackle all three elements in one, or they'll focus on decentralization and security because both are actually really non-negotiable when you're looking at the functions of a blockchain network. But the ideal blockchain network is secure, decentralized, and scalable, but it finds the right balance between the three. And this can be difficult because it presents problems for their network and as their usage grows, sort of like a student trying to manage work, study, and a social life.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we all want that magic triangle and it's very, very hard to obtain. So, Yeah. um, yeah, I think that's a really good way to kind of break it down and look at it as well in that there is a purpose for layer twos and for the most part, would you agree with the statement that for the most part, it is to solve scalability issues?
1: Yeah. So a lot of networks will primarily focus on the decentralization and the security aspects because the security is paramount when you're dealing with users' funds and they're transacting across the networks. And a lot of them aren't impervious, but you need to make sure that the network is as secure as possible so that people don't lose their money and people can't play with the network and unjustly enrich themselves. And then decentralization focuses on the distribution of the computing power throughout a network rather than having a central control of the network live with one person or group. And this is a really important notion when it comes to blockchain networks because it allows for a financial ecosystem built for the people that's powered by the people as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. And when you've got those two to then make transactions go through really, really quickly... It's really hard because solving those transactions and creating those blockchain quite complex. I think a really good way to really dive into this, if this is sounding like, wait, hang on guys, I think I'm following along, but not quite there. Let's use a real world example of say Ethereum, because Ethereum is something that's gone through this. And it's something that, you know, we are looking for ways to solve that scalability. Nearly all of us, if you've ever used it, you will have probably complained about the cost of gas fees. And they are so high. So can you use Ethereum to kind of walk people through a real world example of this?
1: Yeah, Ethereum is actually a great example. So Ethereum itself doesn't have an unlimited network capacity. Instead, its transaction throughput is limited to about 15 to 45 transactions per second. Whereas Visa, on the other hand, can process up to a reported 1,700 transactions per second. And Ethereum's upper performance limit is why the transactions can become so expensive and delayed when too many users are transacting across the primary chain. This is a particular issue because the number of transactions on the Ethereum network just continues to grow and grow and grow with the introduction of decentralized finance itself alone, which is an entire ecosystem of apps enabling users to trade, lend, secure loans, and do other financial activities without the need for traditional intermediaries. So usage of these types of apps explains why the fees can get as high as 50 to 100 usd per transaction and this these types of fees actually weren't uncommon during periods of increased network usage last year so a good way to explain the scalability issues that networks like ethereum and bitcoin face is just like a motorway where too much traffic makes the ethereum or bitcoin network congested, And it becomes a pain for users. Mm. This pain often comes in the form of long delays for transactions and what can really be ridiculously high transaction fees. And a lot of my friends in crypto have been caught up with this using Uniswap once or twice. I'm not going to lie.
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) We feel all of that pain.
1: (laughs) It's a bit of a stitch up. that Yeah, 100%.
0: And so... When these fees, they got so high, we've touched on ETH 2.0 and that's definitely something that we want to unpack. What else have people done to try and combat gas fees?
1: When you're looking at ETH, there's a lot of different ways that people have tried to combat the scalability of Ethereum. The network itself, like you said, is looking to move to an F2.0 model, uh, which is based on a proof of stake rather than a proof of work model. And once the shift is completed, Ethereum should theoretically be able to handle upwards of 1,000 transactions per second, which is a massive increase from the traditional 15 to 45 transactions per second that they can process. And it'll mean that it's lower fees and quicker transaction times for all those people looking to use the network.
0: So if you're listening to this and you're like, oh gosh, what is proof of work, proof of stake? Jump back to our staking episode. Tommy explains in really great detail all of the things you need to know about the difference between the two of them. But that shift to proof of stake, that's huge. And it has been something that we've been speaking about. I think our very first episode with Pav, we spoke about this is coming soon, going to happen soon, and it still isn't here just yet at the time of recording. So Matt, what else is happening? Because Ethereum will get there, I'm sure, at some point. But people can't wait forever and they haven't been. So what else has happened to kind of combat this?
1: Yeah. So instead of your traditional layer one solutions, like looking to improve the primary network, uh, you can look towards layer two solutions as well, which basically develop secondary protocols over the top of the main network. And these ones exist to offload transactions from the main chain to the second chain. So this can be done in a couple of different ways. You can introduce state channels or you can introduce side chains like uh, Arbitrum, Optimism and Polygon. Mm -hmm. Polygon is actually a really good example because it's an Ethereum sidechain that's slowly becoming a really popular choice for a lot of Ethereum projects and it offers a great transaction speed at a really low price. Ethereum can handle, like I said before, about 15 to 45 transactions per second. Uh, And Bitcoin only on average processes about 4.6 transactions per second. But the Polygon network is supposedly reported to be able to achieve upwards of 10,000 transactions per second. And I believe that remains unbeaten by any other network so far.
0: Yeah, cool. And so when we say sidechains and even layer two, does that mean that the foundations of that layer one project are being utilized? So say Ethereum? And the sidechain, are they still using, I guess, the building blocks of Ethereum to run Polygon?
1: Yeah. So sidechains are actually a really popular choice when it comes to Layer 2 solutions because they're a separate blockchain that runs parallel to the Ethereum mainnet and they operate independently, but they increase in scalability. They generally use utility tokens in the mechanisms when it comes to transferring data between the sidechain and the mainchain. And what these networks then do once they've processed enough transactions is roll them into a larger single transaction, or roll-up blocks. What a roll-up block does then is it's sent back to the Ethereum network in a single transaction rather than the many distributed transactions between all the users, and the details of all those transactions are recorded on the primary chain. So in the end, users split the transaction fee for the roll-up block, which is why the microtransactions composing the roll-up block can be so cheap, and the transactions are written back to the primary chain without inconveniencing the users.
0: Okay, so their solution, I guess, is to use all the building blocks of Ethereum. And then instead of charging one transaction at a time, what you're saying they do is they combine them all together and then split the fee of processing those transactions, we'll call it, amongst all the people that are in that block.
1: Yeah, exactly. So all of the transactions are processed on the sidechain, say Polygon. And then once enough transactions have been completed, they can be rolled up into the same block. Commit sent back to the Ethereum blockchain and recorded the data there while the users didn't have to experience long wait times or high fees trying to get a transaction through.
0: We've touched on a few there. But as a user, what are some of the perks or I guess even the disadvantages that come with using Layer 2 solutions?
1: Yeah. So one of the big perks for me, especially when it comes down to using Layer 2 is just the fees. So mm. when I first got into crypto, I was using the BTC and the S network consistently because it's just the old go-to. But I started realizing quickly that, especially during periods of market volatility or high network traffic, you start incurring obscene fees. Um, I've I've paid 50 to 100 US dollars for a simple Ethereum transfer before when I really didn't need to, when I could have used a layer 2 chain. So what layer 2s do is because they take a load off of the primary chain, you're essentially paying cents on the dollar for a transaction in fact just last night i made a matic transfer that only cost me a couple of cents if that no way yeah and the same transaction when you're looking at ethereum or bitcoin would have cost me 37 to 50 dollars
0: yeah, 100%. And so that's because they have, just as we touched on before, you know, all these different utilities and, and ways around scalability to make sure that, of course, everything's still safe. But what are some of the disadvantages then? If you're thinking about that, like lower fees don't just come, I guess, with nothing.
1: Yeah, no, there's always the catch 22 when it comes to using crypto. And, and I think it's important that people are aware of the risks when it comes to using these networks too. Working in customer support, we actually see this with a lot of our customers who don't understand what the implications of Layer 2 networks are, you always need to make sure that when you're sending crypto, that the receiving end can actually facilitate a deposit over the same network. And this can be a real point of issue for a lot of our users, actually, because Layer 2 networks all operate on the same address format for the most part. So when you're looking at the an Ethereum address, the same address can be used on a different network. And so a lot of customers can be duped into using a different network because of the lower fees associated with it. Like, Just like I said, using Matic instead of Ethereum last night saved me nearly $50. But if I were to transfer to my wallet that didn't accept deposits over the Matic network, then I may never be able to recover the funds that I've sent to that wallet.
0: Yeah, right. So is that just more uh, around an adoption piece from a wallet perspective?
1: Yeah, it can be an adoption piece and a lot of the larger wallet providers can be somewhat hesitant to incorporate a lot of the other networks that have come out. But what we have to realize too is that with Layer 2s, a lot of them are really new in the space. So incorporating the ability to actually facilitate deposits over that network is a very difficult and big piece of work for exchanges, wallets, and any other real crypto provider these days. And so when it comes to sending funds over that network, you just always have to make sure that the receiving end will be able to receive that deposit over that network because otherwise, you may lose your funds.
0: Yeah, for sure. And so the trilemma we touched on at the start, you know, decentralization, security, scalability, we've met the scalability with these solutions. Does that mean the other two are going to be compromised in any way?
1: It depends on the layer two network that you're looking at. It depends really on the solution that you're looking at as well because some of the solutions that are in play can compromise security slightly when it comes to recognizing exactly what's occurring on chain and what's not but the purpose of layer twos for the most part is to improve the scalability of the base layer by taking a lot of the load off that base layer so by sending funds over the matic network the details are still being recorded on the ethereum network at a later date once the roll-up block is ready to go but it allows you to transact your funds quickly across any of the layer two networks for a low fee which in my opinion, the convenience is so much more worth it when you're paying low fees and you're not having to wait half a day or have to pay obscene prices to transact immediately, especially when you're trying to use decentralized apps like Uniswap and that sort of stuff. Time can really be of the essence when it comes down to it. And when you have the ability to use decentralized apps on things like the Polygon network, the fees associated with it are so much lower and you can still buy into the same sort of asset because the properties of the network allow the network to share the same sort of projects as Ethereum. So you'll still be able to, for the most part, buy into the same assets when you're on a different network and not cop the obscene fee.
0: And so a lot of our listeners are actually, surprisingly, HODLers, which you know we taught them that well back in the start. So what sort of things are you using your ETH for? Like, What might people need to look into this for?
1: First of all, uh, I completely support the hodler methodology. I definitely have a lot of my balances held up in interest earning apps or that kind of stuff where you you really want to protect your long-term assets. But when I'm using my S or my MATIC balances, I'm generally trying to buy into some more of the DeFi coin and maybe take advantage of some of the high interest rates. But a lot of these projects that I'm investing in sometimes can be risky when it comes down to it, or even the gaming projects that are coming out recently, things like Axie Infinity, There's been some insane gains that are really there to be made. Uh, These days you can buy Axie and you can stake it directly on SwiftX as well. And you can earn, I believe it's a 67% rate.
0: Yeah, it's phenomenal. Again, we touched on that in our, our staking episode and, and what that is and how you can get onto those rewards. But yeah, I think you know that's a, a really cool real-world utilization of it and what a lot of people are doing. The other thing I guess I hear a lot of people talk about is using it to buy NFTs. So if there's a project that you're really interested in, that can be another way that you need to move some of these funds around. So let's walk through what it actually looks like on Polygon compared to, I guess, doing it directly on the network, what would that transaction look like?
1: Yeah, so it's essentially similar to when you're transacting on Uniswap on the Ethereum network as well. You uh, you send your funds uh, across the right network to your Metamask wallet or your trust wallet, making sure that it's on the network that you want to transact on. So, for example, here, Polygon. Uh, and then what I would do is I'd just go to a decentralized exchange or if I'm looking to buy an NFT, I'd go to an NFT marketplace and I'd pair my wallet to the particular exchange or marketplace And I go in and execute the trade or transactions I'm trying to make. And then I'll be able to go into my Metamask wallet, which is my common choice. uh, And I'd be able to see the tokens that are there readily available for me to use or hold on to or trade at a later date if I like or go and stake if I really need to or just do whatever I really want to.
0: Yeah, cool. And so how's that different if you weren't using Polygon then?
1: The concepts are actually really similar and the process itself is actually really similar. It's just that when I'm trading with East, and when I'm trading on the Ethereum network, if the network is suddenly undergoing high traffic or something like that, I can generally start incurring insanely high fees. Whereas if I'm using a side chain or a layer 2 scaling solution, I'll consistently, at least so far, cop low fees and be able to execute the trade near instantly.
0: So it's exactly the same. There's of course pros, cons, perks, disadvantages, everything we've spoken about. But really, that I guess all leads into why this was built in the first place. You know everything that we spoke about at the start of the problem that was created and these solutions that have come out to combat that scalability. If you break it all down, I know layer one, layer two people often get so confused and a little overwhelmed about the concept, but you've just kind of highlighted that it's almost exactly the same. It's just you, of course, need to be doing your research when you're looking into this.
1: Yeah, it's the same as anything in crypto. You always need to make sure that you're doing your research and you understand what you're doing. Functionally, it is pretty similar. When you're using the Ethereum as opposed to the Matic network, you can go into an Explorer, you can pair your wallet to any decentralized exchange and that sort of stuff. But it's always important, as with anything in crypto, to make sure that you really understand what you're doing Before you just jump right in, because there is the very real possibility that you could lose your funds as well, and we all want to protect our money. Definitely.
0: So, Matt, where do you think we're going to see the evolution of this? Like, we've come a pretty long way in a very short time already. What do you think the next sort of step is?
1: To be honest with you, I'm I'm not too sure. There's some pretty exciting projects on the horizon when it comes to layer two scaling solutions, and I'm I'm very excited to see what Ethereum 2.0 brings as well. It's looking like that's going to be a, a very interesting change, and people will be able to start earning on their Ethereum by staking it on the network as well, which is pretty amazing. I, I personally love Ethereum, so it's, it'll be a great change for myself. I'm not too sure when it comes to layer 2 solutions, to be completely honest with you. A lot of what goes on can be at times far outside my wheelhouse, but as well, the implications of what you can do currently already are vastly an improvement on the last 10 years with crypto. Right now, I can transact across the Matic Network or the Arbitrum Network for cents on the dollar when it comes to trying to trade on the ethereum network and that already is saving me money and allowing me to move my funds through the network without any issue
0: And I think if we go back and we draw parallels to like when the internet first started, and that is a topic that we're going to dive into is Web 3.0 and everything that's happening in that space as well. But like when the internet first started, it was pretty basic and there were a lot of problems and it was very, very, very slow. And as people get more excited and involved with it and developers come along and they build new solutions, it gets better and better and better. And I think like what we've just touched on is you don't know because it hasn't even been thought of yet. And unless you're someone who's in that space, actually developing and building and imagining and creating, it's kind of like this endless possibility. Like, you know, five years ago, we probably didn't think that we could solve Ethereum scalability issues or that there would even be one because the adoption just wasn't there. So it's super interesting to see how far we've already come. But yeah, the the future is exciting as well.
1: Yeah, the future is definitely exciting. And if you look at where crypto was 20 years ago, people didn't even think cryptography could really be used for any financial implications or anything like that. And now 20 years later, we're able to log onto a platform like SwiftX, deposit our AED, start investing in coins that are on different blockchain networks, stake, earn interest on them, transact on decentralized finance platforms. It's just, the future is really bright for this industry. And I'm, I'm quite keen and quite excited to be involved.
0: Hey, amazing. Well, Matt, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for breaking this down for us and making it super easy to understand. We actually have an episode next week where we're going to dive into the Lightning Network, which is something that is solving scalability and really advancing things on the Bitcoin network. So that one's going to be really exciting to dive into. But thank you so much for joining us today and we will talk to you soon.
1: No worries at all. Thanks very much for having me and team um, to come back.